All right, so we are going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 17, the last half of, uh, of 1 Corinthians. Phil did a, a really good job, and there's a lot of really good discussion around the first, uh, the first part uh, of the chapter, but for the sake of time, um, we want to go ahead and, and continue moving on. I was doing a little math. We've got three weeks, including today. And five chapters to cover, so we're going to try to uh, move ahead a little bit, uh, cover some grounds, and uh, there, there's uh, several things to to discuss as we get through, um, continue through this letter. But um, one of the things I wanted to do at the start is kind of uh, by way of I don't have my by way of a review. And Lee, could you go to, I believe, slide 26? I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, so by way of review, what I wanted to do was just not, not review every chapter, but I wanted to, to, to share with you three main points that I've seen throughout this letter so far that has helped, helped me in uh, my own study as I've seen, uh, as, I've, as I've read through uh, the different chapters we've gone through and all the different things that Paul has, uh, Paul has mentioned. Um, really helped me keep the context of the letter in mind when I see these three main points uh, put, put as, as we kind of go through the letter. And th- there's other main points we could take away, but these were just three kind of main observations that I think apply to a lot of the things that we read in the letter. These are the things that a lot of, uh, a, a lot of things that Paul is trying to uh, uh, discuss. And, and so I just wanted to do a real brief overview of this just to kind of get us started and, and get us into our study this morning. Um, the first is the idea that all glory belongs to God, and we've seen this uh, in, in a couple different places. It belongs to God and not men. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, he said, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And that's one of the last points Paul made before going into, into chapter 11. Um, a few chapters before that, in, in 6 verse 20, Paul had instructed them to use their bodies. In, not for sexual pleasure, not for their own selfish desires, but uh, to glorify God in their bodies. And so we see that the, this, was, this was something over and over again that Paul is reminding the Corinthian brethren that, that the glory belongs to God. It's not about them. It's not about their desires. It's not about their, uh, their knowledge, their wealth. Everything that they did should be in view of giving glory to God. And so that's one of the principles we see as we go throughout this letter. And if it doesn't bring God glory, they needed to steer clear of it. That was kind of the opposite of, uh, of what we see there, is they need to stay away from that. Secondly, God is a God of order. And I think we see that throughout this letter. He expects those who serve him to follow uh, his divine order, his instructions, and, and the, the things that he has set up, regardless of what background the Christian may come from. There's, there's some, some, some grace and understanding in, in those with, with weaker consciences, but in, in just a few chapters, when we get to the end of chapter 14, we're going to see that, that Paul's going to instruct the Corinthians that in reference to their assemblies, all things should be done decently and orderly. And I think that we see, uh, see that, that point being made 
throughout, throughout the letter, even in chapter 11, the beginning, where Paul reviews the order of headship, right? Uh, the, the subjection that God expects, Christ over man, husband over wife, God over Christ. Um, and even going all the way back to, to chapter 1, when we're looking at the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world, and there's an order and expectations around what God uh, expects them to to follow. And then thirdly, there's to be unity in the body of Christ. And that, that, that keeps coming up over and over in my studies as I'm reading through this book. Uh, Paul starts the letter with that idea, right? And being in the same mind and the same judgment in chapter one. And he goes through the letter and highlights all of these different areas where they're supposed to have unity as they, as they work through, through things. They're to have a common faith in Christ in, in the first couple of chapters. Um, in chapter five, they're to have an intolerance of sin. They're to be unified in their intolerance of sin and their love for their brother's souls so that they will do what is necessary in, in discipline and, and, and taking care of the purity of the body of Christ there. Two weeks ago, when we were in chapters 8 through 10, uh, they were to be unified in, when it came to their love for each other. And even if they had liberties, even if they had knowledge that they knew they could go ahead and eat the meat, they knew that they were to be unified in giving up those liberties for their brother and working together so that all of them could, could, uh, could, could live a righteous life and not uh, be a stumbling block to one another. In just a moment, in the last half of chapter 11, we're going to see that in their remembrance of the body and the blood of, the, of Christ, um, they were to be mindful of one another, not only partaking um, uh, in self-examination, but in consideration of one another. And that, and that was part of this, this communion that they were to, to be partaking of. And then we'll take a look at spiritual gifts in, in chapters 12 through 14, uh, where he reminds them that their gifts all come from the same source, and they're to be unified in how they use those and what... Um, and working as one body. So keeping those three main points in mind, I want to just kind of start our class this morning with that in mind. Um, that, that, that's the mindset we're to have as a Christian. We're, we're to have the, this, this concept where we are giving God all the glory. We realize he's a God of order and we, we follow that principle and we are to be unified uh, in, in the body. So with that, I want to go ahead and jump into uh, chapter 11, and we're going to jump down to verse 17, and we're going to take a look at what Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper. And before we, as we start this, we'll be looking at, uh, like I said, verse 17, but in, in the second half of the chapter, Paul switches his focus to something he does not commend. If we contrast verse 2, verses 17, verse 2, he says, well, I, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. Then we get to verse 17, and he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, for the worse. So when it comes to the assembling together of the Corinthian brethren, Paul does not praise or commend them. And he is about to explain why he doesn't do that, why he, why he can't commend them in this. Uh, and it's because of how they are conducting themselves in those assemblies. So this portion of the chapter can really be broken down into two main 
main points. Uh, the first is, is where he, he's going to look at the Corinthians' attitude and their behavior and what they are doing when they're coming together, when they are observing the Lord's Supper and how they are abusing that. And then the second, second part of this, verse 23 through 24, or 23 through 34, there he's going to look at the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. It's a little more um, detailed look of the, the outline. But, and, and so we see here, conduct at Corinth in regards to the Lord's Supper. In verses 17 through 19, he's going to say he cannot praise them for their conduct in their assemblies, especially in regards to the Lord's Supper. And he explains why, uh, what they're doing. And then again, that last part, he's going to talk about the institution the, uh, of the Lord's Supper that, that Paul received um, and what, what happened, what, what it's about. Um, that it's a proclamation of the Lord's death. It's accompanied by self-examination and then some concluding instructions. Um, and to go through this, I thought I would go ahead and, and break it down a little bit to four main points, four main observations we see he, 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 Paul covers here in this section. And this is an exclusive list, I'm sure. There's a lot of things we can pull out of, uh, out, out of this text. But I, I, I thought this would be a good way to give us the idea of what Paul is trying to communicate by looking at, at these, um, these four basic points. So the first thing I want, I want us to note is in verse 17, there is a proper way to come together. And there is an expected result of what should occur from our time together. Verse 17, when you come together, is not for the better, but for the worse. Um, the result from us coming together is not just an arbitrary checking of the box. Okay, it's Sunday, we came, we, 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 we did the things we were supposed to do. But he, there, there's an expectation Paul had that, that you are to be doing things and it is to be for the better and not for the worse. And, and, but that's not the case here uh, in, in Corinth. And, and Paul, Paul is saying that the Corinthians are behaving in a way when they assemble that it is having a negative impact. It is not doing the things that it's supposed to do. Um, it is for the worse. And I thought, this is something that I've been thinking about a couple of weeks, um, and it just caused me to think, when we come together uh, to assemble as a church and to, to worship and to encourage one another, what is our intention behind coming together? What are the things that we... We, we, we have in mind that we're going to do. Do we think about in the car on the way here that we're going to do things for the better? Are we going to be intentional about encouraging and lifting up as, as we're going to see in chapter 14? That's one of the goals of, of, uh, of the time together. Or are we just coming because it's what we've always done? It's what we're supposed to do. Um, just another thing on our to-do list for the weekend, that if we don't show up, some people may be, uh, may, may be upset or, or, or look down on us there. But um, what, what, what is it that we're trying to do? And are we intentional about coming together for the better? And Paul, Paul's example here is going to be the, the Lord's Supper, right? We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and how they are using that. But I think like many things in this letter, we can see there's other applications and there, there could be other applications of, the, of how we approach coming together. And, you know, are we coming together and, and when we pray, are we doing that for the better? When we worship in song, when we give, are we doing those things for the better? Are we being intentional to encourage and make, uh, make things better by our time together 
or are we just here checking, checking off a box? Yes, Leanne. I just wanted to say, um, I've been in churches before where visitors will come in or people will come in off the street and nobody will say hi to them, nobody will um, acknowledge that they're there. And um, I actually had one person say to me one time, you're the first person to turn around in your seat and say hello to me. And I said, you got to be kidding me, I'm sitting clear up front. And um, she said, no, you're the first, we were about to leave. We were visiting from Florida. So, um, so you know, little things like that, like saying hi or asking somebody if they even know what they're, because some people come to church thinking that this is a different, this is just a denomination like everybody else. So some people don't know what we believe. Some people don't know what's going on. So you got to make sure they know what's going on. And as for your brothers and sisters, you got to ask how they're doing. You got to ask whether they need anything, whether they need food, whether they need something or something like that. Because, you know, like Paul said, you know, that's what Christ did with people. So that's what you're supposed to do too. Sure. Thank you. And, and, and that's right. We need to be intentional about uh, even, even in talking to one another, engaging the visitors and, and are, are, are the things we are doing, I think that's a question we can ask, are the things we are doing when we come together, are we intentional about making it for the better or, or are we having a negative impact and making it for the worse? And so that's one of the principles we see here. And we, we could go on with that, that discussion and, and take a look at that. But the, the second thing that, that I, I think we, we see here in, in the last part of, of chapter 11 is Paul um, talks about the Corinthian assembly and what was going on. What, what was it that they were doing? How were they behaving when they assembled to, to partake the Lord's Supper here? What were the things that were occurring? And, and what was interfering with their proper observance of the Lord's Supper? I think those are some things we see, see here. And, and what we see in verse 20 was that when they came together, it wasn't the Lord's Supper that they were eating. They may have been trying to do that, but because of the things that they were doing and the way they approached it, 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 it turned out to not be that. And so what, why wasn't that possible? Why, what was interfering with that, keeping it from that? Um, and what we see is in verse 21, that in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. The, the entire assembly here, when they were partaking the Lord's Supper, they were coming together. It had been per- perverted into some feasting time, into some common meal that they were just partaking of without really any thought to why they were there, without any thought to what they were, what they were doing there, they, the you know, it, in, when I read that, it, it brings to my mind perhaps the feasting that they would have been doing in the pagan temples, uh, worshiping idols and, and feasting and, and that, that type of concept that they might have been bringing into uh, their worship to God, where they were, they, they were eating, they, they were, they were uh, be, becoming drunk, it says, um, the picture being painted was this church assembly that, that was very, very casual and, and turning things that were supposed to be sacred and, and, and done respectfully and reverently and in, in memorial into a very casual common meal where some, some were being left out, some were, uh, some were overindulging. Um, we don't really know what the factions and divisions that, that, that what, 
how they divided up here, you know, it doesn't say they were divided into this faction, this faction, um, but there, there was some division in, in, in how they were partaking and how they, they were, they were meeting here. And, uh, what the picture that's being painted here is one set of brethren came, they ate food and drank while another set of brethren, they came and perhaps because maybe they either arrived at a different time or maybe they, uh, had brought nothing with them and it had nothing. They, they weren't participating. And so they were, they were hungry. So we've got these two different sets of, uh, uh of, of, of groups here and this two different, this, this concept here. And so, in verse 22, it makes reference to some who have nothing, and it's very possible that maybe there's a group of wealthy Christians who, who are here and, and had things that they would bring to the feast, and then there were some who had nothing, and they were being neglected. And they, they were, you know, the, the wealthy Christians, maybe we see there's a lot of pride and puffed up arrogance in this, in this church already, so maybe they were taking for themselves first, and then there was nothing left over for this other group. That, that, that's, that, that, that's a possibility here. Um, and, and that wouldn't seem out of line with some of the things we've seen and know about the Corinthian behavior. Um, and, and regardless if, you know, if this was a timing issue where one was eating before another, or if this was just a neglect issue of not, not taking care of the others, I think what we see here is a major heart issue where they are not, their heart is not focused on where it needs to be. Their heart is not focused on the supper that the Lord instituted, but it is on other things, other things that they, uh, that, that, you know, making it a common meal in, in the food and the things that they are partaking in. Um, and this result was again for the worse, right? The, 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 this was not the way it was supposed to be. Verse 22, Paul said, this was not a function of the church or the assembly together and eat and drink a common meal. The, you, you should do this in your homes. The things you're doing here, you have homes to eat or drink in. You shouldn't be doing those here. Um, that was something they could and should do. Um, and he says to, to do things the way you're doing it was to despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. And so, again, that is, that is not the purpose of us coming together, is to despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. That is quite the opposite of what we are, what we are to be doing, to look down on and, and view it as just a mere gathering, social gathering for us to have this common meal. And so that's what we see going on here. And Paul does not commend them in this. This was a uh, abuse, a perversion from the Lord's intent of the Lord's Supper and the time they were together. Then the uh, third, uh, third observation. Yes, okay. Two observations in the section that you just covered. Uh, number one, in verse 18, it is a coming together into, with, into one location. So we've got to keep that in mind. That's the pattern that is established here. Second, the purpose of them coming together is the Lord's Supper. That's the purpose. And we see the same thing in Acts 20, verse 7. They were coming together for breaking bread. So we've got, we cannot... Ignore this pattern that Paul establishes here. So, you know, we got to keep that in mind. Thank you. Appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing that up uh, and make that point. Um, So, the third thing we want to cover here from 1 Corinthians 11 is what do we learn about the Lord's Supper? There's a lot that we can learn about 
the, this, this, this supper that has been instituted by the Lord here um, in this chapter and, 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 and in First Corinthians itself. And, and, and there are other places we, we establish the pattern for the Lord's Supper in multiple places. Carrie mentioned Acts, Acts 27. There's a, a, other places in Acts. There's some teaching in, in Hebrews around the sacrifice of Christ and, and what that means. And there's, there's other places we can, we can look at that. But there's a lot of things we learned in First Corinthians here. And I wanted to take, take a quick moment and just look at what Paul, what we see from Paul here about the Lord's Supper that, that, we, that we learn. Um, and, and, and the first thing I want to look at is, is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And what, what does it mean? What is this Lord's Supper that, that, Jesus, that Jesus instituted? And the first thing we see is that it's a memorial. It's, it's, it's an uh, opportunity for remembrance. And in verse 23 through 25, this is a common passage we read when we get ready to partake of the uh, of this memorial. Um, and Paul, in this, Paul replays the institution of the Lord's Supper, what happened. And it's, we're familiar with it. it. It's consistent with the accounts we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is fascinating because Paul was not there. And so he received this from a divine revelation from the Lord uh, of what, what occurred. Um, but he, 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 he relays this to the Corinthian brethren here. And, and we're familiar with this memorial and what it stands for. We eat, when we eat the bread, we do that in memory of, of his body and a body that was sacrificed. And we drink the cup, the fruit of the vine that we learn elsewhere in memory of the new covenant of his blood and blood that was shed on the cross. And so in the same way that the Passover was a memorial and this was instituted on, on the, 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 the Passover evening, commemorating Israel's deliverance from Egypt, um, through the blood of the lambs on the doorpost, the supper that the Lord instituted as a memorial uh, of his death. And uh, so, you know, and, and who makes our deliverance from the bondage of sin. So we see that that's a memorial. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they, they, you're, you're right. They, this, this is another proof of his apostleship that he received this from the Lord. And while he wasn't there in person, he, he did receive this in, in that divine way. And so, so we know that this was another point there. Thank you. Um, so, so we see that the, the part of this Lord's Supper that's been instituted, it's a memorial. It's a time for us to remember. It's a time for, uh, for remembrance. It is also a proclamation. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And, and so according to Paul here, when we, when we every Sunday when we're, when we're together and we eat the bread and we eat the cup, we are proclaiming something. We are proclaiming his death. And, and, and one of the things I see here is there's really two, two ideas to this. First, we're proclaiming our faith in the effectiveness of his death. That we believe that his death and his blood and his body, the, those things um, were effective in our redemption. We trust in that and we're proclaiming that by partaking of the, of, of the supper. If we didn't believe that, why would we be taking of the supper? And so by doing that, that is a proclamation of our belief in that. And then secondly, we see that we're also proclaiming our faith in the Lord's return because he says you're going to do this until he returns. And so if we don't think he's going to return, why are we doing this. this? This is another way that we are proclaiming, number one, that, that, that we, fa- we have faith and trust in his death, but that also we're looking forward to his, his coming, and we have faith and trust that that is going to occur as well. So we're proclaiming that uh, as part of this memorial. 
then thirdly, we see that this is a communion. And uh, for this, I want to actually, it's not chapter 11, back in chapter 10. Uh, we, we see that the, when we partake of the blood uh, and of the, uh, the cup and of the bread, we are in fellowship and sharing with that blood and body. First uh, Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17, we looked at this a few weeks ago. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for, all, for we all partake of one bread. And that's in the context, remember, that Paul is talking about, uh, you know, when you partake in a feast, you are in fact partaking of the source and the, uh, uh, the, the, what that represents. And so that, that's a thought that should humble us. When we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are doing, um, we, when we drink and eat the memorial, we are in fact communing and sharing in the blood and body of Christ. So for 1 Corinthians, we see that it's a, the, the supper is a memorial. It's a uh, proclamation of our faith, and it is communion. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to say, um, you know, they were thinking that the Lord's Supper is like a meal, meal type thing. And Paul's like, no, it's not a meal. It's a memorial. And we know what memorials are. We see them on TV. We see them. We have them in our families. We know what a memorial is. And what it is, is you're supposed to be silent and you're supposed to be somber during the time because, you know, what Jesus went through was not a pretty picture and he went through that for his children and the least we could do is be silent I've been in churches where they've eaten in churches I've been in churches where they sing during the Lord's Supper and stuff like that that's a very very rude thing to do because um because of the simple fact that um you need to show a little bit more respect than that because you know like they like you said it's not your dinner time it is a memorial service, and you wouldn't do that if you were going to a funeral or anything like that. So, why would you do that during Jesus? Yeah, th- thank you. And that actually b- goes right into the the, ne- the next point we're going to talk about is the observance of the supper. He's talked about what it is, what it means, and then he then he goes into how how is it to be done, and he gives some guidance around around that. And the, the first thing we notice is that it's supposed to be a reverent uh, participation. He, he in verse twenty seven. He describes it's possible to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. In verse 29, he states that we need to discern the body while eating and drinking. And when I read those things, I I, I see that as the manner and behavior that we take this with, that we approach the the, the supper with and this memorial. And the Corinthians were not doing that, were they? They they were eating whenever they wanted to. They they were they were filling themselves as a common meal. They were leaving some people out. They were doing doing all of these things and not focused on what was supposed to be focused on. They were not doing it reverently in a worthy way and in a worthy manner. There, and so you know, instead, just like Leanne said, it, it this this should be done with great respect and reverence, and uh, you know, specifically keeping in mind the incredible price that Jesus paid. Uh, the cruel torture, the humiliation that he suffered, the uh, spiritual anguish uh, he bore for our sins, turning this into a common meal, into a casual eating on your own terms without consideration to why we're doing it or, or how we're doing it or, or, or who we're doing it with, that, that's a failure here. That, that's not the Lord's Supper. 
That, 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 is, that is something different when, when we partake it in that way. And Paul says here in both verses, the failure to observe can bring condemnation. One will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, and one will eat and drink judgment to himself. So to make light of this memorial puts us in that same category. Um, the next thing we, we see here is, is that there's an idea of self-examination of this when we, when we take. And we, we see this idea that uh, in, in verse uh, 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and partake of the cup. And th- this is an opportunity where we are able to consider our own spiritual condition. And, and that, that's usually the immediate thought. After I think about the sacrifice and, and think about the cost of that, my immediate thought goes to myself. Am I living in a way worthy of that? Or, or am I living in a way that shows my appreciation for that? Or am I still willfully going back into sin and living in sin? Does that cause any change in me at all? So there's a point of self-examination. Uh, uh, we see here the point uh, that, that it's to be done with other Christians. Verse 33, Paul kind of concludes this section um, kind of in contrast to, the, as, as a remedy to the problem in verse 21, he says, so then my brethren, uh, brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Um, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, 17, partaking together of one bread, they did demonstrate they are one bread and one body. And again, this is consistent with what Carrie mentioned in Acts 20, verse 7. But when they come together to, to break bread, there is a clear instruction and pattern for us that we need to come together. And I think there's value in that. By coming together and partaking of this memorial and proclaiming to one another our faith in Christ and proclaiming to, to one another our, our um, and, and, our, our faith in his coming, there, there's strength in that unity that we all are in this together. We all are, are, are communing with, with Christ together. You know, in, in a few minutes, we have just under 200 people doing this together as we, as we remember his death, sharing in this proclamation. And that's something that I think we should uh, note here. Uh, and then it to be done often. And we can see here at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17, they were coming together. This appears like it was a frequent and regular uh, occurrence that they're coming together for this purpose. And later in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul provides instruction about the collection uh, when he comes, and he refers to do so on the first day of the week. So I think we can make that case in 1 Corinthians here in both of these, these areas where they were coming together for this purpose on the first day of the week. This was a frequent occurrence, and so we can see that point. Um, any, any other thoughts there? Any other observations before we move on? So the, uh, what really impressed me a couple of weeks ago, or one, one thing that really impressed me in 1 Corinthians 8, when, when he talked about having knowledge, how that uh, causes arrogance, basically. But we are supposed to have love for edification. Um, that's, uh, and, and that's, when, when I bring these things up, just keep in mind, this is, this is what I have in mind. Um, it seems like, uh, and, and some of these you've already hit, but it seems like they were doing uh, three things wrong that Paul brings out, uh, patterns that they were not supposed to be following, that he calls out is divisiveness and factions. Um, and that seemed to be a domino effect causing that they were not waiting, uh, that they were causing others to not be able to partake, that physical hunger was distracting them from the true purpose of Jesus' sacrifice. So each of these things 
are, are things that we should prevent, not, not to be lumped together. Um, and and I'm, it, it's my own limitation. I, I, I can't keep in mind, I, my attention span is so short that I can't keep everything together. But um, if we just take it step by step and okay, when we examine ourselves and it's in addition to what you said about that, we, we have to examine a lot of things. But in addition to that, um, are we being divisive? Are we waiting for everyone to make sure that they are also partaking? Um, and are we are we hungry, or is that something that we can put out of our mind because we've we've already we've already taken care of that need? Um, the uh, the pattern that he set forth that they should be doing is the opposite of that. We shouldn't be divisive. We should be um, we should be waiting for one another. Um, we shouldn't be hungry, and so I guess my my question, just to, to cause thought, um, not to cause strife, but to cause thought, is in on the, in our Sunday morning service, are we accomplishing this? Are we doing all of these things? Are we waiting for one another? Have we come together for this purpose? And then the same question for Sunday evening, because we have people who were, uh, in, uh, as we intend to do this morning. We will partake together, we will eat bread, we will drink the cup, and this is in memorial of Jesus' death. So we do that, and then we, we have this separate service in Sunday evening where some may do that. Sometimes we do if somebody needs to. It's kind of a, um, it's, it's like a, a secondary thing. And, and I don't want to minimize the importance or the love behind it, the question I have is, are we, are, are we doing that because we've always done it, or not, not always, but because it's such a strong tradition that we have um, such inertia or momentum that we can't stop? Um, I, I, I've heard the, the argument that, well, who am I to say that someone cannot, uh, who am I to say that to, to take that away from someone, to take that opportunity away? And here's, and, and I think that's meant with love, but here's my concern with that. Um, first of all, is it our place to say that it's okay to do this other thing when not everyone is partaking of the Lord's Supper, not everyone is eating, not everyone is drinking? We may be remembering it, but not everyone is doing that together. And then um, let me see if I can remember my second point. Um, if we are doing something on Sunday evening, in this case, and I don't, I, it doesn't matter to me when we partake. I, I think it has to be done together, but evening, morning, that, that part doesn't matter to me. It's not about the time. Um, but when we here on Sunday evening have uh, some people partaking, physically partaking, and some not, or if no one needs to, then we just don't do it, is that the same pattern that Paul told them to do? And, and, and I ask that just because I am I'm simply looking at it, and, and it's out of love. So, sure. I, I appreciate that, Chris. Okay. Thank you. Um, Chris beat me to the question because that's the same question I have. And again, not to be divisive, but when you look at a pattern, and we preach pattern from the scripture, and rightly so, they're coming together in one location. They are coming together 
in one location for the purpose of remembering the Lord's death. That is purpose number one. Not the preaching, not the singing. The purpose is the Lord's Supper. We do it in a reverent self-examination manner, as you very eloquently put, and, and it is a sharing in the death of Christ. And, and I guess that's my question, just like Chris is, is are we doing that correctly? And if, if you understand what I'm asking. Sure. Uh, when some in the evening aren't doing that. I think that's just a question mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely no. I I, I can appreciate both both uh, both points and and, uh, and thoughts, um, and, and you know it, it, it's I, I can see from uh, from here how how both both can view the, the this passage and make both arguments that you know well we we're doing so by doing that on Sunday night or letting everybody do it or we're not because some are not taking on Sunday night so both both of those can, point, points can be made there. Um, and so I, I can appreciate the, the the question to to, to spur our thoughts, and I think that's one of the things that we, you know, one of the things I see here. And when I look at that, are, are we coming together for the better, for the worse? How what is our intention, and how are we doing that? Yes, Joe. Um, I ju- I would just say that those are very good questions, and I don't think in the time that we have here can really be dealt with. Yeah. Um, but there is a, a, a class that is being planned on this. And uh, probably is going to anyway the, the details and that will be forthcoming. So uh, let's stay tuned for that. Sounds good. Thank, okay. thank you, Gerald. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, that'll be a good class. Um, all right. So we have about five minutes left. It, it, I don't want to shut down any, any other comments if anybody has anything, but if you don't, I want to go ahead and, and kind of at least broach the subject of spiritual gifts. We're not going to have time to get into the whole thing. You know, let, let's just jump from one to another, um, but just broach the subject of spiritual gifts here and kind of introduce the idea so that we can then move, move, move forward. Um, chapters 12 through 14 gets us to a new section of, uh, of the letter, um, Again, we see this now concerning, so we're switching, switching topics here, now concerning spiritual gifts. Um, and so the next three chapters here, Paul discusses this concept of spiritual gifts in an effort to inform them so that they have a proper understanding and view on the topic. There, there's, some, there's some confusion. There's some, uh, some, some pride and some arrogance here. There's some uh, you know, mis, uh, misvaluing uh, some of these spiritual gifts here. And so he, he's giving some instruction. So in chapter 12, he's going to really teach them about spiritual gifts and uh, where they come from so that they are not uninformed. And uh, that's how he starts that out. Do not be uninformed. Um, in chapter 13, he describes them in a more excellent way. So he, he's describing spiritual gifts. He's listing these out. And he says, there is a more excellent way. And that's love. And, and in that, he's going to reveal how long these spiritual gifts are going to, to be around for. And, and what they're, you know, how, how long they're going to be there. In chapter 14, he provides guidance for their use in the assembly. Um, with the overall principle, let all things be done um, for building up or for edification. And this is a subject that there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of, you know, you can look, look today, and, and I've had conversations with, with those today where people are asking, you know, is there something lacking 
Am I lacking something as a Christian if I don't have these spiritual gifts? If I can't heal somebody, is there a problem with me? Or, you know, what do I have to do to get these spiritual gifts? There, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and from, from people in the world and, and people uh, that, that uh, you know, ascribe to, to, to the Christian faith. They're, you know, what's, what's wrong with my faith? Why can't I receive a gift? And, and they feel less than for not having these gifts. And so I, I think what's great about the, this section here is Paul answered those questions for us. And he, he gives... He, he, he didn't want the Christians in Corinth to be uninformed. He wanted to teach them about this and give them the proper view and the proper perspective. Um, and, and, and so, so that is really, he's going to be giving that, that high level view here of spiritual gifts. Um, let's go ahead and go into chapter 12. I was trying to decide if I was going to even bring it up, but I'll, I'll go ahead and f- fill our time here. So in chapter 12, we see there's basically two, two main concepts he's talking about. He's talking about this idea. There's diversity in gifts in the first 11 ver- verses. There's several gifts. There's nine that he lists here. And, uh, but though they're diverse, there is unity of origin and a unity of purpose. They come from the same spirit. They come from the same place. And there's a reason for them all to, to work together um, for the common good. And then the last half of the chapter, they, he, he uses this illustration of a body and its members. And, and he says that there's need for this diversity in one body. And God designed it to be that way. And, and so what are these spiritual gifts? What, what are these spiritual gifts we're talking about? In verses 8 through 10, he lists them. We've got the word of wisdom. We've got the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But it is the same spirit that empowers each one of these. And what, one of the things we see is that the Corinthians had these spiritual gifts. And, and the same way they were puffed up over who baptized them, and the same way they were causing division and, and, and had the wrong viewpoint over these things, they were also prideful around spiritual gifts and they assigned value higher value to to some gifts over another which meant that they assigned higher value to some individuals who had those gifts over others and and they looked down on some who didn't have uh, certain gifts and so we see this idea where they they really did not have the the proper viewpoint and that was causing division that was causing strife and jealousy and and more as as we uh as, as we go through there. And I'm going to go ahead and leave. I believe that that gets us to um, our time. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it there and pick this up next week. But thank you all. Appreciate it.